0: Five, four, three,
1: two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
0: I'm
2: sorry, I don't know anything about that.
3: Live from Rocktober, if you are not here to party, then switch over to another podcast. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 276, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a non-profit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. Today we are discussing how stamps are made. I bet you thought we were going to stay stationary colors. And we are starting with the very first step. How are printing plates made? From Wikipedia, because we always steal stuff from Wikipedia, printing is a process for mass reproducing text and images using a master form or template. The earliest known form of printing as applied to paper was woodblock printing, which appeared in China before the year 220 AD or BC. I assume since it says two
4: twenty, it's eighty. Okay,
3: I was curious.
4: Otto Domini or uh, C A C E C E
3: Common, Common Era two twenty C E. Let's be politically correct. Later developments in printing technology include the movable type invented by Bi Sheng around the tenth century, and the printing press invented by Johannes Gutenberg in the fifteenth century. There are several ways in which postage stamps were and are printed, including photogravure, which is where a copper plate has a pattern added to the plate by being coated with a light sensitive material which had been exposed to a film positive and then etched, resulting in a high quality plate that can reproduce a photograph. An example of this is Scott's number 1503, the 1973 Big Lyndon Johnson stamp.
4: That's the 8-cent eight, eight stamp. 8-cent, yes, yeah. for LBJ. L-D-J.
1: Right. Is, is that stamp known as the Big Johnson?
3: Forevermore it is now. Typography is the work of typesetters, or anyone who arranges words, letters, numbers, and symbols for publication, and as an example, include the Hawaiian missionaries and numerals. Lithography is done when a plate is either engraved or etched in some way to make cavities that contain printing ink like a woodblock printing. The ink is applied to the raised surfaces of the letters or images. The 1976 Bicentennial Souvenir Scots Numbers 1686 to 1689 are lithographed. Today, most types of high-volume items are printed with offset lithography, which has become the most common form of printing technology since the 1960s. Photolithography, or UV lithography, uses light to transfer a pattern from a photomask to a light-sensitive chemical on a printing surface. A series of chemical treatments then etches the exposure pattern into the printing surface. Line engraving, or intaglio printing, is when the image is incised into a surface and then the incised line or sunken area holds the ink. It is the direct opposite of a relief print, where the parts of the plate that make the image stand above the main surface. Today we are going to discuss this last one, intaglio printing, as well as relief printing, because most of the classic stamps we all love were printed this way. So turn up the music, pour yourself a glass, and get ready to party. Scott, you need to put down your drink, and for the sake of argument, let's pick the first stamp of the United States. How was that stamp's plate made?
2: Well, first thing you do is you have to decide on a pick a subject and then come find an engraver who has a fair, decent amount of artistic talent, and they will etch in a soft usually steel, but uh, possibly copper or some other thing, but usually steel, uh, they will basically etch or scratch a design uh, into the metal uh, using hardened, sharp instruments and uh, in, the, in the size that you want. And uh, once that design is satisfactory, then you harden it. By hardening, that's a metallurgy process that makes the steel, instead of being soft enough to scratch or etch into, then it makes it hard enough to be printed from or used in transferring the image to another piece of soft metal.
4: Albert? And actually, uh, and actually, Hardening is an interesting process because everything is made on soft metal Whatever whether you make if you're making the die you make it out of soft steel or the plate is a steel plate when you harden it What you're doing is you're heating it up to a very high temperature and then Cooling it off very very fast
2: It's It's quenching. quenching
4: And you, generally speaking, you quench it with oil because if you quench it with water, it'll cause rust. But what you're doing is you're adding an oxygen molecule to the steel and you're making the steel molecules closer together.
2: What you're actually doing in terms of physics is you're making it stronger, harder, more
4: brittle. Oh yeah, much more brittle. That's a good point for what we're going to be discussing.
0: Well, from mm. <clears throat> so Scott's discussed from making from making first engraving a die. He um,
2: yes, that original engraving is called the die.
0: And the uh, the company that made the first uh, the first stamps official stamps of the United States, Scott number one and two, is Rodden Ra- 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 right And uh, say that name again. That's a, a tongue a- R a-, a W D O N. I have trouble Rodden. with that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rodden. Rodden. and. Uh, uh, so once, you, once you've hardened the die, the next thing that you have to do is create the transfer roll. The transfer roll is a piece of round steel on a mandrel, and they actually, um, they actually use, the, use the, uh, the die and roll this round piece of steel on it to pick up the design. So you're going from a negative design to a positive des- des- design. Well, hold
2: on. First of all, before you do that, uh, a lot of times they will take and ink the die and actually take an impression of it to make sure because when the when the engraver does it he's basically doing it in a mirror image of what you're going to
0: get right that's where the die proofs come from
2: right and so they're going to they're going to draw an image and that's where the die proofs come and they can come on different types they might be on card they might be on india paper india paper is a very thin uh very fine paper it's made out of it's rice paper as well. it's rice paper but it picks up all of the very fine fine minute etchings in the details in the in the engraving so that's one of the reasons why they used it for proof impressions is so that they could get as good of an impression off of this die as they could and that's one of the ways that they check to make sure that the design is what they desire to have printed on the stamp but, and then once they do that then obviously they clean off the, all the ink and then they go to the step that albert's talking about which is making the the uh, transfer die or making
0: wall. the transfer roll. yeah and they they do that they do that on a, on a blank of soft steel and it's mounted on a mandrel and they print it in they put it in a they put it in, a, uh, put it in what's called a bearer press a transfer press and they rock that in under tons of pressure and the idea is, is that you may you may have uh, as many as uh, well in, in later in later transfer rolls you may have as many as ten images on uh, on a transfer roll. But in the early in the early dies it was usually only one or two or three.
2: Right, and you're talking about rocking, so they're not using straight-on pressure, but they're actually moving it back and forth. Now there are problems that can be caused in that process. And this is where we talk. We, we can talk about, du- this is one of the places that a double transfer can occur.
4: Well, hold on. It, just to qualify really quick, what, they, what they're talking about is picture a rolling pin. Okay, yeah, the, so, the mandrel so, he's talking about is actually right. round. So picture a rolling pin, and you use the die to put the impression in that rolling pin. So now you have a rolling pin with a couple of images of it. You then take that rolling pin, and you take the wheel off your car, and you put that rolling pin on your car, and then you drive over a piece of metal. That's the force of what they're doing, and that's the type of die-relief pattern that you're they're using.
2: Yeah, it's more like a fully loaded dump truck. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about huge amounts of pressure Yes, are required to transfer this image.
1: And a very skinny rolling pin. And yeah. a very, yes. <laughs>
4: Yeah, Albert, uh, you brought it up. Um, Scott number one, did did the transfer roll only have one image on it or did it have more? I thought it had three. Three? Yeah. Because the uh, US number 11 had three, but they only ever used, well, they used the third one to just clean stuff up and they used two of them.
0: On the on the ones in 1851s, the first plates, they have they have three three tra- they have three different uh, yeah. reliefs. The top row, which is which creates on the on the top plate one early, you have the, the only true type type one, the seven right one earlier, Scott number five, and then you have relief A's and relief B's, which are used for the rest of the rest of the rest of the whole plate because um. in
4: 1857 they had six reliefs mm-hmm. so what they would do is they would roll six of them onto a plate and then pick it up and roll four more correct so that the last two didn't go the second run and that way they would get the sheet of ten items
2: now the first printing plates there's it's been theorized that they were not steel printing plates it's theorized that they were copper printing plates
4: well, they're, they're, that's an interesting thing because, in Albert uh, and me both love this stamp, but U.S. number 11, when they first made it, plate one and plate two, they estimated that they would get about twenty to 25,000 impressions, and then they'd clean it and buff it up and try to fix it up and get another twenty to 25,000 well, instead of getting fifty thousand impressions, they used it for I think four hundred and fifty thousand impressions. So they way overwent what they were going to do, and that's why you get the plate wear factor in.
0: On on the other hand, you have plates like the one cent plate three, which uh, cracked during usage, and so you have a minimal amount of a minimal amount of uh, impressions or plate two in the one sound where you get a, a crack later on and then they, it, it, the crack gets bigger and bigger as you look
4: at it. Well, uh, on number 11, plate five got right. a crack. And afterwards, uh, a good person, uh, an ex-friend that we had, fantastic friend, Wilson Hume, he went through the archives and he found out that plate zero had actually broken. And that's why plate zero didn't have other states, is it actually cracked and a piece fell off of it, and they couldn't fix it. Well,
2: with the number 11s, didn't, uh, they did pull some impressions before the plates were hardened, didn't they? Well,
4: they had proofs. Yeah. Everything had proofs, I and mean, they, they always did proofs.
2: But a lot of times those are pulled before the plates are hardened. Yes. Which can... Which, uh, are much easier to damage and so sometimes you know if, if they're not careful somebody you know drops an instrument or something on the plate and co- they can cause markings on the plate that will when the once the plate's hardened now show up on the stamps and yeah. those are constant plate flaws that uh, can be avidly collected as well
0: well we're on, tr- we're on so we made the transfer roll and then we've hardened it. So I guess you're supposed to do the Mark. Are you doing the uh, talking about the, making the plates or not? Me, no. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I can keep talking. Yeah. I mean, keep once, talking. Once, you, once you've uh, once you've made the transfer roll, you and that's hardened. Once again, it's uh, you heat it to a high temperature and then quenched. Um, um, you then take a soft steel plate to make an actual plate. And uh, you use a fine scribe of some sort to draw lines and dots, and then just to orient to orient the uh, transfer roll, you start rocking. You start rocking in the uh, reliefs, and depending on so most most of the early stamps were 200 to a 200 to a complete sheet, uh, and. The problem was is that if it was misoriented or something like that, you would actually have to ta- you would actually have to take the uh, the soft steel plate and turn it upside down and bang it from the other side, uh, and then redo it. And so, despite taking out ninety percent of the of the original impression, when you rock another when you rock it over there, you get what are known as double transfers, and occasionally you get things that are triple transfers. Um, but you would rock, rock the, use this transfer roll to make your, make your plate. And at the end of that, if you were happy with it, if you took, a, if you took a, a proof impression and you were happy with it, you would then harden the plate, and the plate would be ready to go to press.
4: The most, one of the most valuable stamps in U.S. collecting is U.S. number 5. And U.S. number 5 was caused directly because of that. They rocked in the images. And they, they started from the uh, right side and went left instead of left side and went right. So you had the 10th position, 9th position, 8th position, 7th position. They didn't like any of them, so they hammered them out. Then they run, ran them again. And then number 7, for some reason, they ran it another time. So that's why you get the full design on Scott number 5. It's just because they rocked this position a bunch and then after that somebody probably walked up and said what the heck are you doing get this plate done and so they said okay screw it and they went and did all the rest of them and so that's why uh you have type one type one a's is because you had a lot of work into it and afterwards they said screw it get this plate into production we need this out of here at least that's my uh opinion because it did, the work did end rather abruptly, and then the plate started getting used.
0: No, well, they had contracts to fulfill, so yeah. with with the government. Uh, by this time, the 1851 stamps are done by Topin Carpenter, and I mispronounce that name, Casaleer. I don't know the right way. Right, I always pro- say Castler,
4: but who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, I'm sure somebody out these there the is going to send us a bunch of dirty emails now saying, pronounce well, my name right.
0: All these companies are interestingly They're banknote companies. So they're yeah. very experienced in making, making, uh, making banknotes and uh, stock certificates and everything else. So they're accustomed to making. This is all security work. So that's why. And it's all, um, it's all very highly technical skilled work. Um, even today the uh, the engravers both of, of our stamps and coins are are revered by by collectors and uh, dealers because we realize how hard it is to make some of that stuff um, but well ha- that's
4: one of just going back that's one of the reasons why supposedly the first stamps uh, us number 10 the three cent stamp was printed in orange brown and supposedly and I do not believe this is the case but supposedly the orange brown ink wore the plates out quicker
2: well the orange brown plates has a a component of iron as part of the ink which is why a lot of times you see um, oxidation or actually Mm -hmm. sulfurization of the the colors and uh, well because it has iron in it yes it is abrasive
4: yes but they started they changed the ink color before the plates suffered any real wear from it. I believe that they changed from orange brown to taking out the vanilla. It was purely a difference in cost and a difference in color that they just wanted it different. But uh, you do have again these banknote companies that you know maybe were printing. 200,000 300,000 notes they were 4 or 5 to a sheet so 50,000 impressions no problem you do half a million impressions you got a problem
0: so using so talking about this type of printing i mean the uh, when it's fitted fitted into the press bed and everything and it's inked up the the paper's dampened when they lightly dampen when the, when they take an impression of it Uh, the bureau of engraving and printing over the years at major stamp shows and major coin shows has actually had demonstration presses to show people how it happens hopefully when this uh, when our current COVID virus thing ends we'll we'll have that again because it's a wonderful thing to see for anybody who wants to understand how our stamps are printed but uh, uh, talking about some of the interesting varieties uh, we have we have both we have both double transfers and triple transfers, on uh, uh, that are created from that process where the plates being made, and it's the original transfer is misaligned and they hammer, they turn the plate over, hammered out, and then re-transfer it in place maybe a second time or even a third time. Uh, we have uh, we have what are called accidents like uh, somebody drops a scribe or something like that, so you get a plate scratch of some sort. Uh, we have plate cracks which are caused by wear or by improper hardening or something like that. Plate 3, one cent is considered why its use is so,
4: so short is because
0: of uh, improper hardening.
4: Yeah, and uh, a lot of people don't know that, but uh, you look, you think, oh, well, there's a big, huge crack in plate number 3. That's not what happened. What happened probably was that when they hardened it, they didn't quench it correctly. And so you don't have like a big crack, like on plate number five or plate number two, which, you know, you look at the stamp and you see a big line going through where the crack is. These were like a zillion little micro cracks all over it. And so it looked like a sort of busted glass, that sort of a crack.
0: But it's probable that the plate actually fails at some point, just absolutely just like broke up or a piece of it broke up. And that's why they, they couldn't use it anymore.
4: Well, one of the reasons why we know this stuff is because when they did the uh, reissue in 1876, they reprinted and they said, hey, can you send us all the old plates? And so all the plates were returned to the printing, the printers, you know, they saved them all and they put them all on a train and shipped them off. And so we get this inventory list of the plates that they got. So even plate number zero, it's in the inventory list. And again, Wilson Hume, nobody had looked at this before or hadn't. If they had looked at it, they didn't like print it. They got the plate and it had a piece missing from it. It had the plate was in two pieces. So now we know what happened to plate number zero, why they never used it. And plate number five had a huge amount of rust on it and stuff like that. And then in 1876, they got all the plates and they said, these are all worthless. We're going to make our own new plate. So that's why in 1870 or 1876, all the stamps are different. Like the U.S. number three is different from U.S. number one. Well,
2: that's because they couldn't find the plates for the original.
4: No, they had them. They had Not them.
2: for one and two, they didn't. That's why they had to make new plates.
4: I am uncertain of that, but I I thought that they got all most of the plates and they just said we can't use these. We're going to make new ones.
0: Well, no matter what, even if they had or they they didn't, it was decided that they they were unusable. Mm. So they had to make a completely new. They had to make it. A quote-unquote imitation die that looked like the five cent and looked like the ten cent but as it's described in the catalog there are very tiny differences in the spacing and 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 they you know there's oh these guys are good right
4: They, they knew what they were doing they made an exact copy but it was slightly different
0: and then it's printed on and then the stamps themselves are printed on a slightly different paper yeah which is distinctive yes but do you want to talk about, I think, Cash, you had to talk about, because uh, you had to talk about uh, both on the three-cent and on the one-cent, the, the fact that uh, uh, they on a number of the early plates, they actually, after so many impressions, they actually went in and and, uh, and uh, strengthened the lines. Oh, yeah. And so that's a, that's a whole different issue. So why don't you address that?
4: Uh, well, they made a couple plates. And the one that's the most common... that you see a lot of is plate number one because it went through heavy usage so we talked about plate hardening well you can actually take a hardened plate reheat it and then not quench it just let it cool down on its own and it'll soften it so what they did was they said hey we we need to strengthen this up a bit so not only did they like you know strengthen the lines by scratching them in again and you have some really cool like uh, five line recuts in the upper left corner which only occurs in one position and stuff, but the people use their artistic skill to strengthen out the plates. Well, some of them too, they actually rocked in another image on top of the old image. So you can see the old image and they just reinforced it. Well, when you reinforce it, you you don't do it perfect. so. And I don't think they reinforced an entire image, or maybe they did rarely. But you know, they'd re rock in the bottom because for some reason, the, when the uh, dump truck with the transfer roll, you know, rocked it in there, the bottom was a little weak. So they went in there and they strengthened it. Well, again, you're dealing with just microscopic, you know, lining this stuff up. So, you know, you're a small fraction of a millimeter off someplace, and all of a sudden you have a double transfer, where you can see that there are two images there. And some of the uh, impressive ones are like, well, on the US number 11s, you have cents instead of gents, where the C looks like a G, not in cents. And then in later issues, oh, my actually my favorite double transfer, is the 30 cent bison stamp of 1822, where the 30 has a marked double transfer, where, you know, it wasn't lined up well. And you get these just really interesting freak printings. And again, this is a plate printing. This is an actual printing variety flaw. If, uh, because we get here at PSE, People who say, "Hey, look at this!" You know, the ink is missing on this part of the stamp, and you go, "That's very interesting," but it's not a consistent variety. It's just somebody didn't put ink there.
2: Well, there is a consistent variety where, if an edge doesn't receive the proper, uh, it doesn't have the proper design. It can, it's a, it can be a short transfer, and then that's part of the plate making or that's a transfer printing, process. Yeah. That's not a printing error. That's a right production error in transferring that image from the original engraved design either to the transfer roll uh, or to the printing plate itself. Any one of those, if you don't completely rock that die all the way to the edge of the design, you're going to basically not transfer the edge. And so it's going to be called a short transfer. Yep. And I've actually found a couple of those. I found one on uh, 216. And I found a double transfer on the $5 Marshall.
4: Well, if it only happens in that one printing process where, you know, that one stamp came out, that's called a freak.
2: If it happens on the transfer roll...
4: Then it would be consistent forever.
2: You would have it on every image made from that transfer position. Right. So if uh, if you have, say, six images on the transfer roll and one of them, then one out of every six of those images is going to have that characteristic. If it's made when you're going from the transfer roll to the plate, it's position-specific on the plate.
4: It's like uh, in U.S. number 11s, you have gash on shoulder. That was a flaw on the transfer roll. And so that flaw is transferred always to the same position. If you have... A 1,000 stamps from this one sheet in this one position, they will all have it.
2: Right, but if it's on the transfer roll, then multiple positions on the sheet can have it. That's, yeah. What about uh, a
1: a more modern stamp like the 20-cent Brooklyn Bridge where where you have a a variety where the bridge is unfinished? Mm -hmm. That's actually a short transfer. That's a short transfer, okay. Yeah,
4: Yeah, there's quite, there are a lot of, printing varieties like this. Um, that stamp was not printed by line engraved, though. Yes, it was. Right? It was? Oh, it was? Okay, yeah. never mind. That.
2: Now, a lot of times when they're laying out the printing plates, uh, the technician who's doing that, um, I forget what they were, is siderographer, is what they used to be called. Uh, they would place small dots or scribe small lines onto the plate to make sure that they got the rows and columns of stamps all lined up and they just kind of didn't go willy-nilly all over the place. Well, at the end, after they've entered the stamps, a lot of times they would try to burnish or polish those uh, markings off of the printing plate so they wouldn't appear on the printed stamp sheets. And sometimes they got them all, sometimes they didn't and sometimes they get part of the design. Well, that's uh... which Which is, you know, could have happened uh, a lot on the one-cent Franklin um, when they, because some of the, those plates were made just for imperfect stamps, and when they added perforations, then they needed a little bit more room between the designs, and so they would go through in between the designs, burnishing enough space for the perforations, and a lot of times they hit part of the design.
4: Almost all the time they hit the design.
2: (laughs) But you you can see that sometimes on other plates, even though they were laid out for stamps that were going to be made, they knew they were going to have perforations even. Uh, But sometimes they get carried away, and you'll get a position that has a little bit, uh, got a little bit aggressive with the burnishing, and part of the design was accidentally rubbed out. But also, if they make an error, if they on the plates like the two cent Washington Franklin. They they made a they had a problem with certain images when they made the plates. They burnished them out. They re-entered those positions, but when they did that they grabbed the five cent die instead of the two cent (laughs) die. Oh you're talking about
4: number five oh five and the uh, like.
2: Yeah and that's how that error came about because when they grabbed the die they looked at it and you know, a backwards five looks a lot, a lot like a two. <laughs> so they grabbed the wrong die and they put the five cent in there and they didn't realize it.
4: Yeah, that's a great story too. Is <laughs> if you got one of those, if got you, if, everybody can look it up, it's uh, Scott number five oh five or four sixty seven or four sixty seven or 85, Yeah. So there's a perf ten, an imperf, and a perf eleven. And uh, the interesting thing, though, and they talked about this a lot, were you allowed to use it as a five-cent stamp? If you bought it, you know, if you put it on an envelope, was it a five-cent stamp or a two-cent stamp? And the law said it was a two-cent stamp. Even though it said five on it, it was a two-cent stamp. And there, there, are I don't think there are any that exist, but supposedly some of them came back three-cents postage due because people used him as five-cent stamps
0: i've never seen a cover with that where it said posters on it
4: no it, this was from uh perry perry was talking about he did see it and then they soaked him up the cover <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> what the heck are you doing
2: <laughs> well again that was back in an era where postal history was not uh very popular
4: mm-hmm.
2: and they went by the color the
1: two-cent Right. Stamps were red, five-cent stamps were blue.
4: And they sold them as two-cent stamps, and they got two cents for them and everything else. It was just a typo. But it is a very interesting stamp.
2: Yeah, well, the interest. The, another interesting thing about that is when the post office department found out about it, they recalled the sheets. And collectors rushed out to the post offices to buy as many as they could. Yep. And some postmasters sold them and some wouldn't. But uh, they, did, they did get a bunch back, and they did destroy a whole bunch of those, which is one of the reasons why they command a the premium today.
4: Because they didn't just put it in one position. They didn't just mess up one time. No, they didn't. <laughs> they messed up three times. <laughs> They're scattered all over the place. <laughs> Two of them are on one sheet, and one of them's on another sheet.
0: Now, the rarest of double transfers are something like that. But when they're when they, but they take the actual they take the wrong r- wrong transfer roll. For instance, you do have on the you do have from plate number 5299. You do have a position on there, which is a two cent plate where they actually originally rocked it in the one cent stamp. Mm. And so when when they when they turned the steel plate over and they banged it out and then put in the correct uh, uh, transfer in there, you can still see. Parts of the one-cent design, so that's considered a foreign transfer.
2: Identifiable parts. It has to be identifiable. Yeah.
0: And this exists on a number of the officials and also on the uh, on the 10-cent uh, premier gravure, the so-called August 62B. Also
2: appears on some revenue stamps. Right. But is those, it, those are it, all highly... Highly collectible. Yeah.
4: Well, again, my one of mine is uh, the one-cent, when they were laying out the plate, they put on the first image and went... The uh, plate's upside down. So they turned the plate over and laid everything out. So on one, you have a double transfer where it was rocked in twice. One is upside down. One is right side up, which I always thought that one was cool. That's uh, plate two, right? Plate no, two. it's
0: 71, it's, it's seventy-one,
1: eighty-one, ninety-one. plate one.
4: Yeah. Okay, plate one. Yeah.
1: Now I heard you say it was a foreign transfer. Is that the same as a foreign entry or is it just semantics?
4: Yeah, that, that, that's
2: the same. Thing. That's the oh, same, okay.
0: yeah. And then, we had a, we, and then the other thing we ought to talk about is the difference between a double transfer and a double impression.
2: Oh, oh absolutely. That's a good one. Um, a lot of times they get confused. A double impression is a printing error. That's where a stamp is printed twice. A double impression occurs during the printing process. A double transfer occurs during the plate making process. Right, it's a production error.
4: Yeah, so uh, they put the piece of paper on, they print the stamp, they lift it up, the stamp, the paper falls back onto the plate, and you get a slight one. That's the most common that you will see in the old And
2: the the easiest ones to find are on the offset issues. Yeah. Offset offset and lithograph are are where you find most of your double impressions. Or triple. Or triples. Well, and a lot of a lot of the things that people think are triple impressions are actually double impressions. They, they can be a little tricky to tell apart, um, and there are some nuances to telling them apart. Um, but I would say probably more than ninety percent of the triple impressions we have submitted at PSE go back as double impressions.
4: Dramatic double impressions, but they're still just Right. Yeah.
2: Now, if you have an Intaglio printed double impression those are pretty impressive and the catalog actually shows uh one or two of them but they are pretty impressive but they are also extremely rare we cover everything we're done
1: what about the stamp with the cat with the two tails
2: that's not engraved no that is a, I believe that's a lithographic, lithographic. stamp. That's a lithographic. Error. And that's a lithographic error. It's just a slight doubling of the black ink. What? Um,
3: never heard of that one.
2: It's. Oh, you've <laughs> never seen the two-tailed it's cat? Like, from yeah. the 1970s. And it's it's A and, Halloween stamp. No, it's a, no, post, no, no post it's a post office. Post office, yeah, yeah. Right, That's Yeah. A, I think it's from early 70s. I
4: think it's an, Yeah, it's an eight-cent stamp, right? Yes. Yeah. First automated post office, I believe, is what it is. I
2: think
1: the subject, uh, I think so.
4: Yeah, speaking about a post office error <laughs> on Facebook, we saw this. Hey, Tom, why don't you go ahead? Actually, and do...
3: it was the New York Post. Oh, the New York Post, okay. A Florida woman forced to forfeit her lotto prize after the USPS loses her ticket.
4: Yeah, <laughs> oh, I wonder how much you know.
3: It's, it's not a lot. It was $1,000. It oh, was right. one of those second chance sweepstakes. Oh, okay. But because all of the lottery offices where she lived in Florida were closed due to COVID-19, she followed the directions and she put it in the mail. She put it in via certified mail and she had, uh, I believe it was 14 days or seven days that it had to, had to be there or they would pick a second chance winner. Well, uh, this story came out uh, actually yesterday, August 30th, and it said, uh, her so, tracking information last showed the ticket in transit on August 12th. No! <laughs> and uh, let's see, when is, uh, doesn't say when she, what day she mailed it, but uh, she actually uh, wanted it to make sure it got there, so she mailed it via certified mail, and they, uh, they never received it. What a terrible fate. Uh, the, the only reason I relate to that is is that
0: my mother liked as uh, she got in her 80s and early 90s one of the since she didn't really need anything so a christmas present or a birthday present she actually liked like the california scratchers mm-hmm. so so occasionally she would win but most of the time she wouldn't so they had a they had a second chance program so I would go, I would log on using her email address and then put in the <laughs> put in the numbers so I relate to
3: this 100% Well, it actually says, um, it doesn't say what date she put it in, but at the writing of the article it says, six weeks later, the winning ticket is still unaccounted for.
2: (laughs) Now the question is, will the Lottery Commission pay it because she has proof that she did send it?
4: Probably not. The Florida Lottery
3: said it is not responsible for mistakes made by the Postal Service, though it will make an exception for her and pay out the prize if the package shows up postmarked by the original deadline. Ah! (laughs) But at this point, after six weeks, it's if they can ever figure out where it even is.
4: Yeah, no kidding. Well, lottery... I don't know, but everybody should know that I'm a magician. And uh, I have a magic trick, and it's... uh, uh, I give a person a lottery ticket, and then they scratch off the numbers and I produce a card for it. Well, the trick is that I bought bogus uh, lottery tickets, and they're they're all $25,000 winners. So, you know, I give the person a lottery ticket, I'm doing it, and then they realize that they won $25,000 and start running and screaming, and, you know, that's the trick.
0: (laughs) There have been several sitcom episodes about those kind of fake cards and people quitting their jobs and all that, thinking (laughs) that
3: they won.
4: I want a million dollars! Screw you! I'm never coming back! (laughs)
3: Guess you should wait till the check is cash before you quit your job. Yeah. So, and I thought that would be funny to throw in today.
4: Oh, I have something uh, to share. Uh, you, for the first time, I got my uh, eBay managed pay, which went into effect. I say that again because I burped in the middle of it. <laughs> that was attractive. By yeah. The way. Thank you. <laughs> um, I got my eBay managed pay went into effect yesterday. And today I got a uh, bank transfer of $5.21. And so uh, I talked to Mark about it because that's stupid and I have to track it and everything. And, you know, I'm sure they produce some sort of report, but it, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Um, Mark told me, and I'm going to share this to everybody because it is important. Uh, Mark, why don't you uh, tell them what to do because it fixed mine.
1: Right. Well, because eBay, if you make sales every day, they'll send you a, a payment every day. Um, so what you do is um, is you go to your My eBay and click on the payments tab and you can reschedule it for once a week instead of every every day.
4: Can yeah. you reschedule it for?
1: The payouts once a week.
4: Nope. Like you, every you have, you have every cho- other week or nope. something? You have a choice no. of per day or per week.
1: Yeah, it's either daily or weekly.
4: Yeah, I wish I could do it like every two weeks, but yeah, it, at least once a week means my bank only gets hit with one transfer a week, and do you know, they four transfers. You?
1: <laughs> yeah, it just makes it harder to. to I have you know, I have a funny feeling if you have all these transfers.
4: Yeah, I have a funny feeling if I got thirty-one transfers, that there would be a fee involved.
0: <laughs> Before we conclude, I wanted to talk about one additional thing. From plate production in Italy, there are two very there are two important stamps in U.S. Scott 4 a 2 a and Scott 500 that are called Type 1As, and they are called Type 1As because the design didn't change. It was because of the development at the Bureau of a ten-subject transfer roll, and the transfer roll was then put in at such high pressure that that's why you get the characteristic type 1a uh, the heavy char- heavy uh, uh, shading around the button and also the toga lines and the rope and that uh, that's why it's called type 1a and not a, some other different type because it's actually this, the same die and this and this and the same transfer but it's just uh, using a different different a new transfer roll that made those elements so strong
4: well, wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, because the circle around the toga button is just significantly stronger. Very yeah. dis-
4: very, distinct. And in a
2: lot of literature, it says it's recut, but it's not. Hmm. It's just the excessive pressure when they transferred and made the new transfer roll from the die.
0: And that's why it's called Type 1A. It's not a, it's a completely separate type. Hmm.
3: So they just used a bigger cement truck. And then, <laughs> and then they, they added
2: look. cement instead of dirt. <laughs>
3: Is that it? Are we That's it. That's it. We're done.
1: Let's talk about paper colors.
3: Postal stationery. <laughs>
1: paper, paper colors. Yeah. I, don't think,
3: I don't think we have time.
1: Yeah. Not even white?
3: It's white. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're done for the day, but we have a favor to ask. Stamp Show here today has a YouTube channel where we put up excerpts of our podcast. I figured that was better than uh, extracts. Yeah. <laughs> we just put up a fantastic video on albert's talk on the california gold rush issue of the canal zone please check it out and subscribe to the channel because it helps us show up in the search and we are a new channel Uh, also liking the videos goes a long way too take a look and help the channel grow we need your help nothing on the internet is free including our phone and internet connections you can support the podcast by joining the stamp show here today club The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership, and please include your APS number if you are an APS member, because we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 276. This was Tom.
4: This was Cash. This was Scott.
1: This was Mark. This was Albert.
2: This was Becca.
3: You can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting.
4: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.